Two atheists go to church. Two atheists go to church. Go. What do you want to talk about tonight, Angela? Hey, guess where we went? Uh, where did we go? <laughs> um, we went to my old church. <laughs> I know. Um, we went to a church community called Upper Room. I used to attend Upper Room back in, like, 2011, 2012. Um, At that time, they were in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and since moved to Edina. Um, And I just read their website, and it says they moved in 2015. So it was a little little ways out from me leaving. Um, But they formed, apparently, this... uh, collaborative ministry with Colonial Church in Edina, and that's where they're housed out of now. Before, they were in, like, kind of a super, super old church, very tiny. Like, it didn't even have AC. I remember going in the summer and swung my balls off. Um, But now they're in, like, a way nicer space. But, unfortunately, the... uh, Attendance has dropped significantly. How many people used to go? Um, I mean, they would fill. Um, they would fill up that tiny church. So I mean, uh, like two, two hundred, three hundred people. Okay, there were about a hundred people there today, um, but we went to the upper room. It's um, it's one of the only churches. The only service is actually in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was nice. It was Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Yep. So for those of you who hate to get up early or mm-hmm. uh, want to watch the big game, uh, you sports. could... Sports! Sports! Who's winning the match, Angela? You could easily go to this church. Um, or if you want to be super holy like I used to do, I would do double duty church. Um, I would play keyboard in my boyfriend's worship group. At a church in, I can't um, imagine you up there on stage be like. I wasn't like. I wasn't allowed to sing because my voice was quote unquote terrible. Um, So I played keys to worship the Lord, Um, and I don't have a good voice. But that is that is mean to tell your girlfriend she's a terrible voice. Yeah, what a dick. so we would do worship duty in the morning, and then being that neither of us were being fulfilled at the uh, AG church, we would go to cool hipster church. Stop making the sex motion with your hands, Joshua. Um, we would go to cool hipster church at night in St. Louis Park, and that was upper room. It was very much geared toward college kids and like a shitload of college kids used to go to it. And, I mean, it was the type of church that after the service got done, they were cool enough to play U2. I don't know what that means, but I'm pretty sure it's significant. (laughs) They would play, like, U2's Elevation from the Tomb Raider soundtrack. Elevation. Does that mean that they also agree that Bono is a Christian like them? Yeah. Probably, which is shaky at best. <laughs> I don't think it's shaky. Um, 
So they played Christian music that wasn't specifically called Christian music? Yeah. Was that pretty cool? I guess. I thought it was pretty cool. Lots of people thought it was cool. (laughs) Sounds like being the tallest asshole to me. (laughs) Being the world's tallest midget? Um, Can't say that word. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm quoting Leatherheads, the movie. So if you guys haven't (laughs) seen it, you should watch it. Um, Yeah, so it was very different. Like, it, it basically didn't feel like the same church. That I had attended. Lots, not so many young people, like suburban moms and dads. Um, That's yeah, so what happens so we walked when you in. <laughs> yeah, we walked in, and um, I wrote 2000 and late on the Edison light bulbs. Mm. Um, so there was a bunch of Edison light bulbs set up behind the band, which is cool, like 20 years ago. Chicken um, fried snap. Yeah. Uh <laughs> The worship band, I just wrote, uh, is their name Four Whites and a White Girl? Because uh, it was just five white people up there doing music for uh, white males uh, who were probably mid-30s, probably about our age. One, the guitarist had a sweet Rickenbacker, Rickenbacker guitar. Rickenbacker, yeah, sweet. Um, and it sounded great. He was a great musician. I liked hearing that Rickenbacker but do its thing. That was just four, four white males that... The most unenthusiastic worship pastor ever. Her her face looked like she was smelling like of like a terrible fart the whole time. Okay, I've noticed. Yeah, I agree with the fart face. Um, but I've noticed this kind of trend in women's voices in modern worship. It's like a lot lower. You ever notice that? Like, it's not so... It's like... Like, it's very low instead of, like... When I Definitely went to church... Sopranos. Yeah. When I went to church, it was just a lot of sopranos, like... Lord, we lift your name on high. And here, it's, like, the kind of, like... I don't know if... I'm sure someone from a Hillsong has a low voice, and they're like, okay. Oh. We got it. Which is, is very much kind of this low <laughs> Yeah, her face. She, she, she looked like a dead-eyed trash bag. She didn't look like she was really into it. No, and there's no... She was a fine musician, but she looked like she was mailing it in. Or, like, you could see her face over the and microphone. I mean, she could have just been having a bad day. She reminded me of the neighbor from Home Improvement, Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, like that. Um, yeah, not a lot going on in the face slash charisma area, but like I said, she could have been having a bad day and maybe her boyfriend broke up with her. They had one thing that's been unique to their church. They have this thing where before the service starts, they call it singing over the children, which sounds sort of creepy. That's, it was weird. It sounds kind of Freddy Krueger-ish like, but they, uh, so they sing a song about the children. Freddy's coming for you. (laughs) Five, six, get a crucifix. Seven, eight, stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like, that's exactly what they sang. (laughs) (laughs) If they did, I was like, cool, I just go Christian now, look. (laughs) I'm a Christian now. 
I found my church. <laughs> I found my tribe. Um, so they sang the song over the children about making them better people. And so, and basically what this was is all the children who would be making a ruckus or who would be otherwise interrupting service were not allowed to be in service. They went to children's church, yeah, which is probably just a room where some adults who are, who look way too enthusiastic, um, and they're like an inch away from murdering themselves. They're just like, I love kids. They're the best. They're the best. Some some people do genuinely like kids, Joshua. We're yeah, not two of those people, but no. there are some people who genu- genuinely like kids. So yeah. So and, oh, go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to say the only thing that reminded me of going to Upper Room when I used to go is that they open the service with like this PowerPoint, and there's these loud church bells playing. Well, it shows pictures of, like, immigrants. <laughs> um, and then it just says upper room, and it's like, bong, 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 bong. And I remember it being kind of really dramatic. And, like, everyone in the lobby then would filter in. But it was way less dramatic here, where there were not that many people. So, like, one guy came in. But I, I did remember the bells, from when I used to go there. I was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I remember this now. That, now that they said the... So after they sang over the children, they didn't actually sing the Freddie Krueger I said, uh, singing over the kids. May your heart be kind and true. So that was probably one of the lyrics. Yeah. Also, it was very dark in the church. Um, it was we were, It was hard to take notes. Um, and if you were trying to follow along with, like, if you had the Bible with you or something... It would have been difficult to read. Um, But the pastor, I wrote, Pastor, woman! Hey! We got got a lady! We got a lady pastor! Um, Which was nice. Yeah, that Um, was a nice change of pace. Yep, so the pastor, uh, she was a ginger, though. So I don't know (laughs) if that... To no fault of her own. (laughs) Um, But... Yeah, so that was nice. She she seemed very comfy, and the way the room was set up is there was a, a high-top table with two chairs, which I was like, oh, there'd be more than one person speaking? That might be nice. Um, and there was more than one person speaking. However, it happened to be um, a guy who was really enthusiastic about soil preservation. And they're doing a sermon series called In This Soil. Mm-hmm. And they... The, <laughs> They're interviewing this guy who's in, he has like an organic uh, gardening service, and he knows everything about dirt. He knows all about the dirt's biology, and he's just basically telling you how the the earth is alive and how plants are actually you know, communicate with each other and like they all work in symbiosis and to create a, a new world. And the pastor is like trying as hard as she can to extract those little nuggets and turn them into like. Christianese, but he wasn't he, not that he wasn't getting it. She's just clearly uh, very passionate about soil and uh, like she was like, oh yeah that's like community and he's like yeah, but the soil (laughs) so he was very into soil Um, I put let's see uh, Q&A with quote unquote organic Bob that's what he went by um I mean, he was making these statements that, I mean, if you have half a brain, you can uh, correlate to the Christian community. Like, what would you cor- like correlate 
weeds can't handle healthy soil. So, like, if you have some bad apples in your community... Or bad practices. Healthy healthy soil is going to spit it out. Those weeds only grow in bad soil. Um, See, I equated it more to, uh, like, you'll have problems, and those will be the weeds if your life isn't... Okay. You know what I mean? Like, if, if the soil isn't healthy, if, like, if, like, you yourself are not healthy, you'll have these things come out of you that are, that are weeds, you know, whether that's, you know, addiction or, uh, abuse or, you know, something. Yeah. And then he, one of his main points was in a thriving ecosystem, plants send whatever, whatever another plant needs, like the nutrient that that plant is lacking. So if there's a plant over on the other side of the ecosystem and then they find out that this other plant needs whatever nutrient, they send it through the system of plants so then that plant can be just as healthy as the rest of it. So, and I mean, that that's an obvious correlation between that and the like a functioning community. I mean, if there's someone in need of something in the community, everyone else should be funneling that need into that person. Um, and then he said this weird thing about, yeah, the plants don't care about the color of the plant's bark. And I was like, oh, maybe don't talk about race right now. <laughs> like... Dark trees and light trees get along, like, uh, okay. Like, it seemed a little unnecessary, but, um, Organic Bio was really going for it, and I can't, I can't fault them for that. Yeah. Um, but the didn't care about the color of their bark was a little... A little on the nose. A little on the nose. Um, but... But I'm just being overly picky, because I'm in... Soul. Anyway, <laughs> the the sermon then the sermon happened after that, which is pretty pretty average. Um, not saying that this pastor is not a good preacher or anything like that. Um, she had a good message. She seemed very earnest. Yeah, like we've, we've said that several times about different churches. But um, she did say that um, the word church has some baggage with it because mm-hmm. they they kept emphasizing the word community and actually trying to get together and get, you know, hang out. So they were advertising all these different church hangouts and she they, said she said the phrase double down on community about 10 times. Yeah. Um and I guess the church is in transition. We didn't know this. I don't know who used to be the pastor. Um, Steve somebody. But now um, she, but they would invite a lot of guest pastors to come in as well. So, but now this pastor, she called herself the transitional pastor. So I don't know exactly what that means, but, I mean, it was, uh, she, I mean, she, if she would have been the pastor, I would have been pleased with that. She's a good speaker, she looked really comfortable. Mm-hmm. She knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool. They, so when they were talking about congregation, they weren't like, most pastors, like, just talk about the sound guy, because that's the guy they know. Yeah. Or, um, one of the ushers, or somebody who volunteers in the church. This pastor seemed to genuinely know everyone. She was like, oh, and you, and you, and you, and she'd call them by name. And they weren't just like, you're always here, so I know your name. Um, uh, Blondie, long yeah. face, yep. glasses. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, but she, yeah, she seemed to know people, which which was was nice. And then she talked about uh, Matthew eighteen twenty, 
um, and talked about koinonia and church community. Remind um, us what Matthew eighteen twenty is. Uh, I have to go look. Okay. Um, while you're talking about that, uh, I wrote uh, some wisdom from Organic Bob. If you have something, if you have bad stuff in your body, you could have something like lupus. So, there you uh, go. Don't get bad stuff in your body or you'll get lupus. So, Matthew eighteen twenty, and this is the NIV version. For where two or more gathered in my name, there I am with you. In your midst. Oh, you know? yeah. So, yeah. she's talking about how community, like church doesn't have to be in a specific building at a specific time on a specific day. But it can be any time we get together. They really try to push that doubling down on community, trying to get together. Um, and she said something different about a Jesus. There's something different about a Jesus-centered community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she talked about bearing witness. That, that's what, yeah, that's what the idea of the church really comes down to is bearing witness. Um, which I mean, I I, I dig that. Um, she also said. Something I thought was interesting, community isn't a nice extroverted thing to do, but something that Jesus commanded. Um, which is something I kind of had to mull over, because uh, I, I get a little apprehensive when people, like in a Christian community... You talk to someone because Jesus told you to. Like, like you don't have a genuine interest in a person. And I mean, that's that's not something that you can really, like, fake or... You know what I mean? Like, oh, I better go talk to Roger because Jesus, Jesus is watching me. Like, that, that is always kind of sketchy to me. Um, but I feel like if you're in a genuinely nice community, it wouldn't be as hard to kind of connect with them. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling, but do you kind of know what I mean? When she said, you know, it's not a nice extroverted thing to do with something Jesus commanded. Like, do you think that would have people try to connect with someone out of guilt? You could. What do you think so? Kind think? of. Like, I feel a lot of the times, like, when I was at churches, some people would just talk to me because they were like... I mean, I wouldn't really put myself out there because I'm very introverted, but you could tell someone was like, oh, God, no one's talking to her. I better go talk to her. Like, and they couldn't give two shits about what I'm saying, but, I mean, everyone needs to be talk to and in the community, but I mean, that's so, like, like, pessimistic of me. (laughs) But still, like, when you put it like that, like, community isn't just a nice thing to do, it's what Jesus commanded. Like, it makes it seem then kind of like it's being done out of guilt. Yeah, Yeah, I can see that. I don't... I'm not sure that Jesus commanded people to live in community. Um, I mean, I think... I mean, the church as the blessed community is something that... It, it really does solve a lot of problems. Um, 
if it's done, you know, well or right, but it's, I mean, it's hard to do anything well or right. But if you actually have a loving community of people who, who accept you as you are, um, not as they would like you to be, or just, it's cause it's hard to do that. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Community is so hard. Like there's, there's going to be a person that you don't mesh with. Yep. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that you need to be best friends with everybody, but it's, I mean, I think there's a difference between caring about someone that's in your community and then just sort of going through the motions because that's what Jesus told you to do. Well, I think every good community is like Camelot. It exists for a little bit and then it goes away. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's that one bright shining moment, you know, where like all of a sudden like there was a community like this or I felt this way, I felt that way. And you can work towards building one, but it takes a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And most people don't have time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, they all have a lifetime. They just don't spend time working on that specific thing. Um, when you do a community right, where people genuinely care about each other and take care of each other, it's a very rare thing. Um, there are lots of places that claim to do it. Uh, you know, churches... Uh, Kingdom halls, uh, tabernacles, temples, um, you know, synagogues, mosques. Um, but most of the time, those people all end up looking like you and pretty much sounding like you and having similar views that you have because that's easy. Um, a community of grace where people accept you just as you are without asking you to do anything else, that doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, it does happen. People, people I think... A lot more of it's going to start happening because people want something real. They don't, like every church, not every church, most churches that we go to are ice cream cones. Here's something that's sweet and melt in your hand in five minutes. Um, but people who are looking for something deeper, people who are looking for that, you know, people talk about there's, there, whatever, whatever God is, whatever faith is, whatever religion is, there's like a deep hum in the background, something that brings you together. So even though we don't believe um, we do believe in humanity and we believe in dignity. And so even if, um, you want to call it God and we want to call it dignity, there's something that will bind us together no matter what we believe. We don't have to believe the same thing as everybody else, um, to be in community. Um, so being a community of compassion, I think they're mentioning it a couple times, like they were being self-critical. You know, she was asking about um, more get-togethers, calling themselves out. Uh, the church can't be a a singer and a preacher where we all sit in the same direction, she said. And then she quoted Matthew 25, which uh, is, is a verse that comes up a lot for us. Um, basically where Jesus says, well, when you didn't do it to the least of those, you didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, when you don't help the poor, you deny the resurrection, when you don't help all, all the people that you know. Because I could, I'll just look at the verse quick right here and actually read it. Yeah, she went on to say stuff about um, if upper room only had an inward mission, then they would implode. Her words, implode, which I thought was kind of great. Um, so they need to add an outward mission as well, which she said was making something good happen in the name of Jesus. Um, and I think that's great that she recognized, and I think a lot of churches don't recognize that 
not only do you need to feed your inward community, but I mean, you'll just fold in on yourself if you're not doing something good for people who need it. So it's Matthew twenty-five thirty-five. I mean, it's one of the parables at the end of this uh, chapter, and it says, "For for I was hungry, and you uh, gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in." I need clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty? Or give you something to drink? When when did we see you as a stranger uh, and invite you in? Or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then um, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Um... Then he says to those on his left, depart from me, uh, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Later redacted. Uh, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not. And he will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes? He goes, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Hmm. Um... Yeah, it's the NIV version, so it's a little, eh, so it's, that's okay. It's not a little, ha ha. Um, the actual one in Greek's more biting. Um, but I think the church, especially since she's the transitional pastor, they seemed very self-reflective. They seemed concerned about what their community is going to look like. Right. And, and really she, trying she to even talked about, to, she even talked about, like, right now, in the stage that their church is at, it's important to see it wasn't so much the destination that they were going, but how they're going to get there as a community. Yeah. Like she really focused on you. Like we're not looking out into this. Okay. This is what we want. Like we have to get this down first before we can go forward, which I thought was pretty wise. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because a lot of the churches we go to don't have any of this introspection. They're just like, we're the fucking boss! They're <laughs> uh, like, we know all the answers. Jesus, Jesus, yeah. Jesus rules. Jesus rules. You don't, G-O-D? <laughs> um, uh, so uh, we attend, a lot of the churches we go to that are a lot bigger tend to have this mentality where they have things figured out, and if you plugged yourself into that church in the right way, you'd be like us. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, where this church kind of <clears throat> seemed, upper room seemed much more open to, well, every person has their own journey, their own story, and if you want to get involved here, great, but we really want you to actually be involved, not mm-hmm. just, like, come and hang out. It, it's what, it didn't seem unfriendly, but it definitely seemed focused on the members, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Like, they were definitely concerned about how the members were you know, taking their own journeys and how can we do it together and help each other. And, I mean, that's total, that's completely understandable if they're in a, a state of transition. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was trying, like, anyone was trying to impress me. Yeah, yeah. Know, which I liked. It didn't, it didn't seem like the pastor got up and said, well, we're having more fun than any other church out there. Yeah, right. Hey. You think church is boring? Watch this. <laughs> Whoa! Pyrotechnics. <laughs> Pastor does a flip. Woo! 
a guy in a skateboard comes through, just a sick, sick kickflip. Hit the board for the Lord. Hit the board for the Lord. Does Jesus 900? That's <laughs> <laughs> like Jesus 900. Uh, yeah. 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 And, uh, so that was, that was all nice. Um, I mean, it actually seemed, dare I say, more earnest now than it did when I went. Just because, I don't know, I think hard times will do that to a person. And it, it looks like that church has kind of fallen on rough times. Their pastor left, and well, I'm sure a ton of the congregation went with them. Because, I mean, the numbers were definitely down from when I attended. And when I did attend, it was very much like a... We are a super cool, hip church, and don't you forget it. That's funny. Um, well, it also, I mean, to that effect, it shows the personality cult of a church. Mm-hmm. Um, how most churches are built around what their pastor's selling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if the person can be is relatable or, <clears throat> you know, wise or... Not many wise. I wouldn't say wise. I would say um, good bullshitter. Charismatic? Yeah, I mean, they had, uh, good bullshit is better than charismatic. But, like, being able to take the message of the gospel and kind of repackage it slightly in their own way and their own brand to mm-hmm. have whatever flavor church they want. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's why you see, like, so many different veins of American Christianity. Like, there's Cowboy Church, and there's... Biker pro, Church. Pro Wrestling for Jesus, and, yeah, like, Biker Church, and, you know, like, any kind of little group that you fit into, I'm sure there's a church for it. So, I don't know. I think... I, I mean... I hope Upper Room kind of, like, figures out the... Like the direction they want to go. And it did, it did to me seem a lot more earnest than it did back in like the cool popular days. It it was funny because back in the day it was very social justice-y, but it was never about the community we were in, which was always kind of frustrating to me. Like donate this so we can buy a goat for a kid in Africa. Which is fine, but I don't know. Like, it always kind of bugged me that... They weren't doing anything in the community they lived in. Right. And I'm like, seriously, like, North Minneapolis is like... And, like, Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park is literally, like, five minutes away. That's a community that's hurting. Like, that's that's a really low-income area of the cities, and it's like... I bought some mittens that an African kid made, and that... (laughs) That gave his family $10. Yay! And I'm like... I don't know. It was just so frustrating to me. I feel... I felt like it was almost like outsourcing. Yeah. Like, you were you were at arm's length from it because you didn't have to see it. Like, if you drove through Brooklyn Center or, like, North Minneapolis, you would have to kind of, like, see it and be in it. But if we bought some mittens an African kid made, you could say, hey, I pat myself on the back. I helped said African kid. I got some cool mittens. Then anyone asks me about the mittens, I'll say, oh, psh, I helped this African, this African kid made it. So cool. 
Then we get to ship it over the seas and poison the but, skies. But, I mean, it's not, like, as cool or glamorous. And I mean, like, overseas missions, too. Like, I was in this country for, you know, how many months, and I took pictures with these orphans. And, and like, it's, like, cool. Like, people look at it and you're like, that's so cool. Like, good for you. But it's, like, if you go and hand out soup at a kitchen in North Minneapolis, like, not as cool. Like, what are you going to do? Like, take pictures of, like, the homeless people in North Minneapolis? Hey! Here's me! <laughs> we, just do do it. The- we just do it at work. Hey, come over here! Um, like, that's, you see what I mean? Yeah, that's also one thing that's frustrating about what we do for a living. So, me and Angelo respectively run a soup kitchen and a food shelf. And in in our neighborhood, eight blocks from our house, I mean, it's, it's our community. It's you know what we tried to you know carefully craft our lives to be able to do, um, and it's very rewarding work. But none of our friends really want to talk about it because uh, I think it makes them feel guilty in a certain way, you know. Um, because we're actually doing, but we're doing charity work. I have friends who are doing real justice work, who I think are doing much more than we are. But we're also, and we're also getting a living from what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's rewarding. It's very rewarding to feed the hungry and to not expect anything in return. Ninety um, percent of the time, it is great, uh, and then there's ten percent of people who fucking to death. Um, they'll never change. They're just assholes, and nothing's ever good enough. And even though it's free, it's you know a, a snappy, you know, like, oh, if I knew I was going to have this shit, I just would have stayed home. And you're like, you don't have to eat it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Here's your refund. <laughs> yep. Can you hold out your hand? I have said that to someone nothing. before. I have said as the price wrong. Yeah, I've said that too in the food shelf. I mean, people come in and they're like, I'm in a food emergency. And then you bring them an entire cart of food and there's like, they're like, there's no bratwurst on here. I'm having a cookout this weekend. I need bratwurst. And I was like, that is not a food emergency. <laughs> like, I've had people come into the food shop with a genuine food emergency. My kids are at home. They're really hungry. They haven't eaten in two days. What yeah. can you give me? And they, those people, I can tell you, will take anything. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like and I'm they, giving them dog shit, very, but... Yeah, and they're usually very graceful. And they're super grateful, gracious. and they're like, oh my god, my kids are going to eat tonight because of you. And I don't do it for the praise. I do it because those kids are human. They didn't ask to be made. They're here. They're suffering. They need other humans to help them. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we help all kinds of people with all kinds of things, and we just... We try to do the best with what we have. Um, uh-huh. It's not always perfect. It's not always an ideal Perfectly situation. Fair. No, it's not fair. That's the thing. Like we have, so we have food distributions where we give away. We probably give away fifteen thousand pounds of food to about one hundred and thirty people every Friday. Yep. Um, it's all stuff from London Byerly's, Target, Cub Foods, Kowalski's, all these great places that donate their extra products called Food Rescue, and an organization brings that to us uh, on a refrigerated truck. And then we distribute it to the public. And it never fails that, like, all this great food's going out. And there's some people who just, none of it's good enough. 
Um, we didn't have. I mean, I had some guy complaining that we didn't have rack of lamb, and I was like, "What?" I was like, "You have a whole chicken. You have you know for free. Yeah, a whole chicken. You have salmon, and you have uh, fresh bacon that you can have that you all got for free. And you're bitching and moaning that you don't have any lamb. And I'm like, but no matter how we set it up, it's never fair because we have to split up the product. So we have two people go down two different lines because there's just so many people they can't all go through one line. So the two lines that are side by side, and our volunteers just divvy up the product as best they can. Like they see you know, four gallons of orange juice, they try to put two gallons on each side mm-hmm. and do it as fair as you can. But cakes aren't the same. So like, say there's a carrot cake and there's a chocolate cake. We put them on separate sides. Mm-hmm. Someone comes down, takes the chocolate cake, loves it. Uh, but then they get they walk out the other side and they see that there's a carrot cake and they say, well, they didn't have a carrot cake on that side. I would have taken that. And we're like, sorry, there's we only had two cakes. We had to choose. We yeah. had to put them each on both sides. That's the, we did the fairest thing we could do. And, right. uh, and people just can't handle that shit. They hate it. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, and they, some, not all, some people will take as much as they can and they'll try to take more and they try to steal more. Mm-hmm. And like, I hate catching them because they're grown ass adults. You know, they're in their sometimes seventies and they're stealing and shit. And I'm like, all of this was free and you still felt the need to steal. And, you know? And yeah. so I just take it away from them. And I usually just, instead of putting it back in line, I'll throw it away and say, you stole it. No one gets it. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And, like, it sucks. Yeah, and people... I mean, Joshua's in, like, the distribution room, and I'm actually the one, like, they go into our chapel and then are randomly dismissed by rows. So I have a bucket. Well, there's eight rows on each side. So I have a bucket marked L, left, that has one through eight in it, and a bucket marked right has one through eight. And I'll go back and forth, left and right, left and right. Left side, row five. Right side, row seven. And people will accuse me of cheating every week. Me literally looking up at the ceiling, digging around in a bucket, they'll be like, you chose five. You cheated. You chose five for a reason. And it's like, I don't know how much more random and fair I can make this. It is not a perfect system. People are going to be a-holes and try to jump the line. We're going to try our best. We're trying our best. Yeah. I mean, this is where, like, the mental exhaustion of the job comes in. Like, trust me, I love what I do. I love giving food to people. But it is exhausting. It is exhausting not only for the 10% who are raging assholes, but it's exhausting to, like, I can only take a certain amount of people each food shelf due to our budget, and then a month... just time constraints. And time constraints, and It's then like I'm, anywhere else. Like, you're... If you go to a restaurant, like a regular restaurant, you're paying for services. If there are too many people there, you're not going to get served. Right. And so then a mom comes in and is like, this is the only time of day I can come and my kids are hungry. And I'm like, why are you at my 15 people? Like, I mean, I have a reference sheet for other food shelves, but it's like, well, are those kids going to get fed? I don't know. Is she lying? Yeah. Yeah. Is she lying? Like, and I mean, I made an exception for a lady today. She's been trying to get 
into a food shelf for weeks and weeks. She lives in St. Paul, works in Brooklyn Park, which is on the exact opposite side of the city. So she commutes like an hour every day to her job um, and comes home. And we're like, just talk to the Brooklyn Park food shelf. Because if you can just go there, like hopefully they'll make an exception being that you don't live over there, but you work over there. And then they said no, which, come on, Brooklyn Park. <laughs> um, so she's like, yeah, they said I couldn't because I don't live here. And it's like, I know there's rules and regulations, but sometimes be a little flexible. Yep. Like, you have to be flexible. So I was flexible today and said, and she's, our building closes at four. And she said... Like, I'm not going to be able to be there until quarter after four. I get off work at 3.30 and traffic, like, I'm not going to be there till quarter after four. And I'm like, well, our building's going to be closed, but just I'll stay up front and knock on the door and then I'll get you some food. Yeah. So I had to be flexible. And it's like, there, there's no perfect system. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be fair. And the sooner you realize that, the better. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've learned a lot working there. Like, like not only just um, cooking for folks and stuff like that, and like mentoring volunteers and stuff. But I've learned a lot from the folks we serve. Like I've learned a lot from homeless people, just about life and um, you know how some of them just there's just a raw system. They just they're happy being homeless. They just they're just don't want to be a part of society the way that other people do. They don't want to have bills. They don't want to have a place to live. They just want to be mobile and on the, on the road, you know? Um, not that, not that they're like, any of them are like, you know, have it all figured out and are like a secret guru or something, but just about hard times and, you know, real life and places people find themselves, you know, for no reason. Um, maybe there are no reasons sometimes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely. If, I love doing it, but I don't know if I can do it forever. Mm-hmm. Like it does take a toll, mm-hmm. and it sucks because no one. It's it when you're in the midst of it when you're you know feeding the hungry, you know five days a week, you know all year round. Um, sometimes it just feels like no one else fucking cares, like no one else gives a shit. Um, and they just come home and complain about their boring-ass job, which, you know, they make, like, ten times more money than we do. <laughs> right. And they're like, yeah, my boss is a fucking asshole, and I hate everything. I'm like, yeah, but you have this great house, and blah, blah, you know. Just shows how, how fickle we all are. You know? Our meeting, they cared with Devonis instead of Jimmy John's. It sucked ass. Um, I hate Devonis. Fucking Italian bastards. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm Italian. Uh, <laughs> I love Italian people. <laughs> um, but watch someone's gonna be like, "That's actually an Irish company." And I'll be like, "I'm so sorry." I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, it, it, it just seems like there's so much work to be done, and it seems like no one's doing shit. Right. And the little work that we do. And even like we openly admit, like we're not doing with we could do better. And oh like, yeah! If we didn't have the certain constraints that we have, I think we could do a much better job. Mm-hmm. But 
I think the bar sets so low for food shelves and for, like, soup kitchens. Right. Like, that when they come in and have fresh food, you know, fresh meal that's made every day, that actually makes sauces, that make, you know, chimichurris and aiolis and all kinds of weird shit that, you know, from the culinary world that I came from, um, that's fun to make. But people, like, the the bar is so low, they're like, oh, we just thought you'd have, like, bread and bologna. Right. Like, no, oh, this is like a full Thanksgiving meal, and it's not even close to Thanksgiving. Enjoy yourself. You know, they're like, oh, shit, this is awesome. That's, right. And that's probably why our numbers are so high. That's why we're almost at building capacity every every lunch now. Because we make good food, and people know it, and they come in. And, yeah. And I mean, thank goodness, I just got, um, I was talking to someone from Hunger Solutions today, and they were talking about the inadequacies, um as compared to suburban food shelves to urban food shelves. Um, and this girl, who I actually went to high school with, hi, Sophia. Um, Shout out. Uh, she has been doing research on urban food shelves and suburban food shelves and how, like, suburban food shelves are like grocery stores. Like, you can just go in and people can pick what they want. And it's this amazing space, and, like, it's very much, like, consumer-centric. Whereas our food shelf, we don't have the space to have people go and pick through what they want. We have a ticket. So, I mean, they can, like, circle what they want. Um, But most of the time, people are, like, just give me... Like, we have different types of food. Like, we have American food, Asian food, and West African food. Um, and most people are like, just give me the Asian card, and you know, or just give me the American card. And like, we have certain lists in the back, so our volunteers know, like, oh, okay, a family of four comes in, they want American food. Like, this is exactly what you put on the card. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there is still an element of choice, but it's not. I don't think it's as dignified as going through and doing like a free grocery store. Yeah, I know. Um, which is something I would love to do, but we don't have the space or budget. And, um, Sophia is trying to see why suburban food shelves can do that and why urban ones can't. And if we start working together, how we can kind of balance it out a little bit. So I'll be going to a meeting in July, um, to meet with other people who run food shelves and see if we can't collaborate on something. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, um, so, I don't know. Yeah, we kind of got away from uh, Upper Room. Well, um, I mean, I think it was important to talk about, if they're talking about community, kind of talking about like a, also a community outside of a church and investing in something like that. I don't know. I feel like I've been really rambling this episode and I've not been making a lot of sense. We'll oh, that's good. Um, all right. Well, I think that's that's a wrap. Yeah. Um, we do definitely have some churches we want to visit coming up. One's kind of a little a little crusty, a little hippie, which I'm kind of excited to go to. Um, but yeah, we will continue with the series and see what we can find out. Until then. Power to the working class. A post-Christian production.